Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I'm Sarah Black. Today, we're going to be talking about familiars. Familiars. <laughs> sure, like that. <laughs> like, you know, the cats. The little imps. Rats. Toads. Pets. Snakes. Snakes. Demonic, strange, human-faced creatures that do the bidding of a witch. But first... We did want to chat a little bit about what we've been doing this week. Housekeeping. Yeah. You know, my friend introduced me to a new podcast, and coincidentally, at the beginning of the episode she introduced me to, they were talking about podcasters and banter, like like what we're doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) And they were talking about how some listeners like it, some don't, some want to hear more from their hosts, some are completely uninterested, and skip ahead to all the juicy stuff. It's weird. So I listen to a wide variety, a wide range of Mm -hmm. podcasts, and some go directly into it. Some have commercials, some have banter, some have promotional material, and so uh, it's and we're just going with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do think we will make sure that this is always tour related, Salem related. Mm-hmm. At least it'll be on topic. Mm-hmm. So what did we do this week? Went, um, I, I want to tell a joke and I'm not sure how to introduce it. What's the joke? It's a pirate joke. Yar. <laughs> <laughs> What's be a pirate's favorite letter? Arr. We've all heard this joke before. I you'd think that, but it's the C. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. That's good. You got me. You got me. Very nice. There you go. Very nice. Okay. Pirates. <laughs> Do we have a laughter thing on here? Uh there we there go. There we go. <laughs> or or we can You don't deserve the I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So yes, we went and saw Real Pirates Salem. We actually attended a coffee with the Creative Collective. You want to talk a little bit about that? Just a a group of uh, local business owners. Uh, So so sort of the idea is networking, but it's not like, you know, you're LinkedIn talking to bankers and whatnot, other creative artists, individuals who small business owners, uh, all local Salem on the North Shore. Some of the coolest people. I yeah. think I've ever met and to get them all in one room is pretty it, exciting. It's, pretty, it's a good vibe. It's usually good, good energy. This one was a little different. I was going to say, then you throw pirate treasure because we all got a it. tour of the new real pirate Salem, which was really cool. I almost don't even have words <laughs> for how incredible of an experience it was. <laughs> I've already told folks to go you know, I've, I've mm-hmm. bumped into mm-hmm. people on the street. I've had folks on tour ask, you know, is there any last minute recommendations? And I will 100% plug this place every single time because it is just such an awesome experience. The way that they interpret history is the way that history should be interpreted all the time. So it's real. It's honest. It's, uh, um, geographically relevant right which is something we may not you think of pirates you think of maybe you know barbados pir- right pirates yeah. of the caribbean isn't it so that the shtick this is about a local 
uh, and and his fleet and his piracy and his life. Uh, all the artifact, the majority of the artifacts and the story is based on a ship that went down off the coast of Cape Cod. And it is incredibly well curated, uh, incredibly uh, in-depth. Uh, the resources they have, uh, the stories they tell are very true, uh, very difficult. Uh, and uh, it was it was wonderful. And I know you said that you're trying to struggle to find the words, but watching you go through there, <laughs> you're like a kid in a candy shop. Uh, you were just amazed. To take one story and create an entire exhibit around it. I mean, it's not, I say it's a, it's not a hard thing to do. It is, mm-hmm. but I think it, it tends to be harder to get people interested in something like that. When you hear about history, when you learn about history, there's so much that you have to do these large swaths, right? We talk about, we talk about time in the scope of centuries, Seldom do we zero in on individuals and specific ships and specific moments in time. And through this exhibit, you actually get to know these pirates. I mean, there's one that they mentioned who's nine years old, Mm -hmm. nine years old, working on a pirate ship. And I think my favorite part about the entire thing, the founder, his name's Bill Golden, he's the gentleman who took us through, gave us the tour. That was one of the best, and it was quick because we had to, there were groups of us. Right. But we could have stayed for another two hours. But within that first, I'd say, 90 seconds to two minutes, he had made this not about pirate treasure, but about class and economic struggle and totally flipped any type of conception, preconceived notion you had about piracy on its head. The the idea, I don't want to give too much away. I don't think we can. Because <laughs> okay, it was, okay. there, there, I think. So I, I, I think, and I, I'm just, so my, <laughs> there's little, there's little text that I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with, uh, the Constitution of the United States, uh, where in which somewhere in there, it says, you know, et cetera, freedom. And we signed our names to that. Pirates had a similar idea. They were free men working willingly, each man with person. There were women pirates. My apologies. Mm-hmm. Thank there you. <laughs> were free people, whether they were from the Americas or indigenous or, or Africa's. And they were on these boats with an equal say with an equal voice living a life that they chose to live and would end up with an equal share of the loot. Yeah. That, that that's so cool. So if you do make it to Salem this summer, please take a moment to go check out real pirate Salem. You will not be disappointed. So much fun. So much fun. Yar. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on. Moving on. We wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening, tuning in every week. Uh, I think we had mentioned before we did not expect any type of immediate response. Uh, Hope. We hoped, of course. And like we we love Salem. We know Salem's popular. We know Salem's going to be popular. But you you never know like what your traction is going to be when you hit the ground. So. 
It's I been think really cool. I recall saying, what if they hate us? I, I told they weren't going to hate us. And you said they just won't listen, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great thing on tour. If they don't like you, you just have to look at them the <laughs> you, whole time. You can sometimes see it in their eyes. Oh, no, you can a hundred percent see yeah, it. And yeah. don't, don't be shy about this. You can definitely see while we give the tour, we are watching you, but on or they he- leave or they leave. But on here, if they don't like us, you know, they just don't tune in again. However, now brace yourself, Jeffrey. I am braced. We did get our first one star rating. Why? I don't know. I don't know. That's, I'm sorry. I didn't think that we were one star people. So just. So we wanted to take a moment to just reiterate how much leaving reviews, leaving ratings, um, subscribing, downloading, that is what is going to boost a podcast up in the rankings, get us in front of more faces, and uh, keep Jeffrey happy, too. Well, (laughs) so, I don't know, so obviously, most of you probably know I I went to England uh, recently, Mm -hmm. Um, and as a small business owner and someone who, you know, sort of begs and pleads for reviews and and Mm -hmm. these sorts of things, I made a list of all the things that I enjoyed and the waiters that we had at all the restaurants. And when I got home, I I sat down and I I went through and I, that's so sweet because like, I know it matters, you know? And I also know that I'm not good at that, that like, so I literally sat here for like an hour going through the Google listings and the TripAdvisor listings and the hotels we booked. And um, because I know that whoever's sitting on the other side, uh, like genuinely appreciates appreciates that. that. And, and you know, that, that, that matters. Um, we above all know how much that matters. Yeah. yeah. No, I made sure to, to praise where praise was well-earned and if it wasn't just carried on with my day. So keep that in mind, not just with podcasts, but, Everything in your day to day. If you like something and you're going to go tell your friend, you're like, oh, I had this great time at this place. Go, go leave a review online. It'll make the person on the other end very happy. Yeah. And also, if you're reading reviews <laughs> to determine whether or not you want to go to a place, leave, you re- pro- <laughs> leave reviews after you go to the place. Contribute. <laughs> yes. Now, I want to take this sort of negative one star energy and flip it on its head and leave a better taste in our mouth going into the episode. Can, and can I, we, Oh, what? No, nothing. I was just going to make a comment. And you know, those like restaurants or like places that like there's, there's a restaurant and I can't remember what they print their one star reviews like on their on t-shirts. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. It's a good way to turn, turn yeah. the negativity into a positive yeah. thing. So I thought maybe we could read two positive reviews. Oh, okay. Yeah, just put a little smile on our faces and hopefully everyone else's. So this is from Annie, left on Apple Podcasts. She says, love it. I have never been to Salem, but it's on my bucket list. I have been vicariously living through this podcast. The hosts tell the history and various other information and tidbits in a way that keeps you interested and hanging on for more. Appreciate that. Uh, hopefully when you visit, uh, you come take a tour and listen to podcasts and you enjoy Salem. So thank you, Annie. And how about you? Hit me. I actually got a review from a local short, sweet, 
says, I'm a Salem resident, and I'm so excited this podcast exists. I love it so far. And then we got a black heart, lightning bolt, magic, and double pink hearts. Love the emojis, always. And so uh, locals and visitors alike, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for being such awesome listeners. We are very excited for what the future holds, hoping to get you merch and merch. (gasps) Do we get t-shirts? Of course. Nice. Pins, hopefully mugs, but to be determined. It's in the works, though. We got plans. Don't you worry. So you can rep us (laughs) all over the place. Now, one last thing before we dig into the episode, we're going to circle back to something we chatted about in our Cemeteries of Salem Part 1 episode. Now, we had had a discussion about Salem's high school mascot. The witches. Yeah, the witches. And how rival teams would chant, burn the witches uh, during sports games. And you were just just downright appalled when I told you. It has become quite the topic of conversation in my household, <laughs> being that my, my Your roommate, roommate's local, yeah. Right. And she was part of, you know, the witches. Yeah. And we continue to have this discussion as to whether or not they like knew, right? And and you and I had said, you know, how much can they really know the context behind burning witches? Their only conception is probably pop culture witches. I doubt at this point, or at least I had said I doubt that they've encountered it to this degree. I mean, everywhere's different. Everywhere's different. Uh, I don't know. I feel like probably if you're in Salem or if, if so maybe we have a catch 22, right? Maybe if you're in the, in Salem or the local New England North Shore area, you might have learned more, but then also Maybe it is more part of your everyday narrative, so then you're more comfortable using those terms. Maybe like desensitized yeah, to yeah. using them. Well, we actually did have a listener reach out to us almost immediately after the episode dropped. So I'm just going to read what she said. Okay. Hi, Sarah and Jeffrey. Hope you are both well. I yes, just finished. We are. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> yes. Hello. I just finished my Tuesday ritual of listening to the latest podcast and loved it. Yay. I wanted to share this with you. You guys were talking about if the kids learned about Salem, the trials and history in school. And I can a hundred percent tell you no. And she put no in all caps. I worked as a special ed teacher aide for 14 years, and every year in seventh grade social studies, there is no mention of this important time in history. In fact, this is all there is in the textbook they used. And she sent me a, a picture of the paragraph. So I want to get your opinion on, you know, if this is okay. This is adequate. Perhaps the worst community conflicts in New England involved the witchcraft trials of the early 1690s. The largest number of trials were held in Salem, Massachusetts. In Salem, a group of girls had accused people of casting spells on them. The community formed a special court to judge the witchcraft cases. The court often pressured the suspected witches to confess... Before the trials had ended, the Salem witch trials led to 19 people being put to death. I don't know. Okay. Uh, 
I guess if that's if that's all you have, that's a f- surface level. But it, but it's a fairly accurate paragraph. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what what it does is it doesn't leave a lot of room for discussion, which is not there should be room for discussion. But if that's all you're having, and you're not going to continue the narrative, mm-hmm. then that's sort of putting a stop to it. Yeah. So cuts it off right there. Yeah. So, okay, fine. Seventh grade though, I, that's you're young, mm-hmm. but I really, but so we take it to high school. I think the only run in with the witch trials I had had was with the crucible in an English class in high school. I think I may have been a sophomore, but that's it. I don't know if I read the crucible. In high school. And you went to school in Massachusetts. Yeah. Granted, it was a couple towns over, but still. So if, if there's anyone from the wonderful GDRHS high school out there who's listening, um, and you remember, I don't remember reading The Crucible. I was also not the best high school student, so that's not saying a lot. Um, but I did enjoy English class. I remember my English teachers. Um, Can you remember the first time you came across any type of... No, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I remember reading Shakespeare. I remember, you know, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, uh, yep, that one. And, you know, some, some just like real, like th- these are things that you should read in high school. And I also want to take this, this opportunity, because this is a hill I'll die on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if those stories are appropriate to be teaching to children of that age. And not because they are inappropriate, but because they don't understand the full weight of what they're learning. And I don't have an answer as to when a better point in time to teach these things would be. And I think that is the only point in time. But I have gone back since and reread some of these books and been like, why didn't I, why wasn't I as disturbed as a child as I am now as as an adult? adult? Yeah. Well, it's because so, you don't you don't grasp you, you the gravity. You can't grasp the gravity of To Kill a Mockingbird when you're 14. You just can't. Um, Especially I, when you're reading it in the safety of a classroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, or even Shakespeare. I, I remember reading. I never liked Shakespeare in high school. No um, one likes Shakespeare. There's people. Sorry, I, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I, I knew a lot of people who didn't. I just but it, as a kid, it, like it in school. I, then I saw a show at the Globe in London, and I was like, "Holy shit." And then you understand. Oh my God, God, this is the, okay. And like it unlocked the magic of like, of those words and that narrative and those stories. And I was like, a lot of it comes down to how it's presented, how it's taught. Yeah. So can you really pass those things to seventh graders? I don't know. High schoolers. And like, so, so going back to a bunch of high schoolers chanting, burn the witches. I mean, I honestly, I can't, maybe in modern day, people are more aware. I think people are more and aware And I, I doubt they do it they, yeah, still. Probably not. She also told me they put it on t-shirts. It was on t-shirts. So Beverly, they were the Panthers. Uh-huh. And Salem was the witches. They would make t-shirts that said, skin the Panthers, and then Beverly would come back with t-shirts that said, burn the witches. You know, Marvel had was the wizards. The wizards? Yeah. 
That is so cool. <laughs> so, so at a Marvel, so they're head, like taking the high road. <laughs> they're like, at, at a Marblehead Salem game, it would be the Wizards versus the Witches, which must have been kind of fun. So cool. I hope everyone's bringing wands I'm to imagining, these games now. Yeah. Now, like, oh, imagining they, like a Merlin character running out on the field. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do they have? Do they, now I'm a. Hold on. Uh, do they have Quidditch teams? That's a thing. I know. Yeah, my my undergrad had one. Yes, yeah, so, so so did mine. We were the 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 Bathalisks in Bath, UK. So instead of Basilisk, that's it was cute. Bathalisk. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Do we have anything else? I don't think so. Okay, let's talk about. Can familiars. we start? Yes. Let's dive into familiars. One of your favorites. I love familiars. And many of you might be familiar with some familiars. <laughs> I see what you did there. Right? Very nice. <laughs> that, thank you. They are riddled through our modern day pop culture. We've got, um, let's see. Salem. Sabrina. I was gonna- <laughs> <laughs> Salem was Sabrina's familiar. Cat. If you watch the old show and, and I think there's an even better representation in the reboot. Yeah. You know, you've got that like goblin thing who takes the form of a cat. So and it's her not, kind of little it's not helper. the cat. I mean, it is the cat. It is the cat. But it looks like a cat. Yeah. It's a thing that then is the cat. Yes. So that's cool. And most of you know that. Uh, I if you've was, seen the show Salem as well. Yep. She a, has a, a, a toad mm-hmm. and that's like a whole thing yep we'll be talking about that yeah um if you've seen harry potter which probably most of you have uh i would argue that most of their little in in the first book oh you can bring with you to hogwarts and it lists some animals Mm -hmm. those aren't familiars those are just pets probably based on like the concept the concept because witches have witches have familiars but none of those pets helped them they weren't assisting in their magical endeavors right and oftentimes the familiar is a supernatural creature i don't know if it can really exist yeah. without being one so, so I, I did see though that may some people on on the internets uh, <laughs> were making the argument that mrs norris filch's cat might be a familiar because she seems to help him yeah or be the closest thing in yeah yeah in that world um Although in, in modern pop culture, it's not just animals. If if you've seen uh, one of my <laughs> one of my favorite shows, uh, what we do in the shadows. Oh, I love that show. I, it's yeah, uh, humans. Bat. Bat. <laughs> uh, humans can be familiars. Although, of course, that is then sort of. I, I like how that is sort of uh, lore is always evolving, uh-huh. right? And so that idea of an assistant helper animal is now taken on by a human. Because the vampires are the super, animalistic being, yeah, they are the supernatural creatures, and they have a an assistant Guillermo's the um, right. wonderful no, little I familiar love it. who, who does love all the work around the house. He doesn't get nearly enough credit. Like Poor guy. <laughs> but those are some of the familiars. <laughs> I'm going to do it again that you might be familiar with. But we're going to talk more about that in depth on what some of their origins are. And uh, some history about all these things and especially how they relate to, to the, the Salem witch trials. Yeah. So this episode's going to be a little bit more lighthearted. I mean, we're literally dealing with imaginary magical creatures yeah. throughout folklore. Which has an important weight to the trials. 
but it's also like a deeply rooted historical idea, mm-hmm. right? But it's also a very fun concept that I yeah. think people have worked into even modern day, you know, as like a pet cat yeah. or rat, right? Snake, toad, bat, lizard, okay. I think we can cat. dog, I think we can cat. bird. Old McDonald house. <laughs> so, uh, interestingly, when, when it comes to the idea of familiars, they're very prevalent in English, which is then Puritan, pre-colonial uh, ideas and accusations of witches. Um, and they're not in a lot of other cultures. Not 100% sure the reason why on that one. But it's interesting to see it over and over and over again. These, And if you look at the documents of the trials, they're listed They're riddled with references of these sometimes animals that you would find in nature, like a bird, like a snake, like Mm -hmm. a rat, or some that are completely unnatural, supernatural, Mm -hmm. like a little demonic imp that's made with the feet of a chicken, the face of a man, and the body of a, give me something. Chicken-footed, black-furred, human-faced imp. That's what it is. I think is the one you're looking for. There we go. It it can be natural. It can be supernatural. But either way, they have a supernatural tie to the devil, to the witch. Oftentimes, this idea of a familiar is an assistant, right? So like whether it's genuinely helping the witch or whether it is um, egging the witch on uh, or whether it's doing the witch's dirty deeds, dirty deeds. Right. So if I'm a witch and I want to attack these girls, maybe I'm in a public place and I can't do it. I can't afford to send my specter out, but I got a secret little malevolent pet. So I'm going to go send that pet out to go attack these kids. And that's how that narrative plays out. It's like uh, middle management. (laughs) Between the devil and the witch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the liaison, the the go-between. I I like that. Thank you. Very much, actually. (laughs) And Um, and if you've ever known middle management, there are probably, you know, (laughs) demons amongst themselves. No offense. Probably somewhat disgruntled with their job. Yeah. But it's not like they don't get anything out of it. There's There's almost a reciprocal relationship going on between the familiar and the witch oftentimes yeah so say you enter a pact with the devil he may bestow upon you give you a familiar an animal a bird cat dog and and we see this a lot of times through many stories that that we have whether they involve witches or not they there's a an animal friend Mm mm-hmm but that animal friend also will get something from the witch in return. So uh, blood sustenance, mm-hmm. we'll get into that in, in a little bit here. So I would I would make the argument um, that the concept of a familiar might have origins uh, with what a lot of people argue is also the first witch, uh, who is Circe, daughter of Hecate. And I know I'm getting a look right now for all of you who can't see uh, Sarah across the table. Um, but if you're familiar w- w- with the Odyssey and the Iliad, uh, w- when they encounter her, it is this island full of animals that she has 
uh, she is ruling, and all of those animals are men, many hogs and beasts that she has turned these men into these creatures to do her bidding. And as she is largely considered the first witch, mm-hmm. uh, that the first witch clearly has these animal pets to do her bidding, which are have been extracted by using magic. And I'd say that's a pretty good origin uh, for what we consider a familiar today. My only devil's advocate, and <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Get it? Devil's I, advocate. I, I think yeah. you intended it. No, I really didn't. Okay. I really, Hit me. I, what, you, what you got? Personally, I, I find it hard to tie things back to a, a large concept such as familiars, tying it back to one single story. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm more of a camp that different cultures around the world oftentimes associate animals with being little helpers. We have familiar spirits throughout indigenous cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole concept of it being necessarily an evil entity. It can be good. Yep. It can be good. Uh, if we predate like the medieval witch trials and what we're going to talk about here soon, it doesn't have to be evil. So, I think it was, I think it was more of just a lore that had developed throughout humanity. So, so does that mean that most of like the Disney princesses have familiars? Exactly. So that would be my argument. <laughs> well, Snow White she right, has all the right. birds and Cinderella has, has the mice, um, you know, even, even Sven uh, might be a- <laughs> with his reindeer. Right. Yeah. He's, 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 that can be a concept of a familiar. Definitely. These animal helpers. Yeah. It um, depends on how, how tight or how loose you want to make that definition. But going off of that, a lot of these Disney movies are propagated from a historical, cultural uh, myths, legends, lores, and ideology. Oh, actually, speaking of oh. Disney princesses, so say take uh, Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. the evil queen. Mm-hmm. Doesn't she have... Uh, some type of bird or animal that hangs oh, out on the, her staff the, the, the whole ra- time. Maleficent has the the raven. Yeah. Creature. So I would say that is a familiar. Okay. In the context of a Disney movie. Okay. Case so that, closed. So, but but then that means that it is the witch who has a familiar and it's doing bad by magic and not propagating through just existing. What? I'm sorry. What? <laughs> so. Uh, Snow White. Yes. Um. Has uh, animal friends. Yes. And they just exist and, and help her, right? Um. Where in which Maleficent has a specific creature design or that has then does does evil. Yeah. So I think, I th- personally. I don't know. I think those animals that were helping Snow White out, I think they were doing it because they were just nice and she was nice. Okay. Whereas in the concept of a familiar, you do have this almost like servant feeling. That makes Iago. (laughs) And like uh, almost a contract. You know, you enter this contract with the devil, you get a familiar to help you. So maybe I don't know. It's it's a complicated question. What That's, and what does not constitute a familiar? We could probably just keep going. If for we were hour, drinking, we would least. probably keep going with this for for a while. Hours. But I I like that because mm-hmm. that 
that involves a lot of historical interpretation and where these things come from culturally and historically. And you know, we could bring in uh, different concepts for forever till mm-hmm. we, we were, you know, just yeah. Settled. Could you could say Alexander the Great's horse was? Oh, yeah. I mean, we could go. We could go all over the place with this. Okay, <clears throat> mythical being in and of itself, his horse and whose name I am totally blanking on. Is uh, it start with a B? I it, want to say Baphomet, but I'm pretty no, sure that's that's not, not it. <laughs> but I'm fairly certain it does begin with a B. But it was Bucephalus. Bucephalus. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Trivia question. All right. <laughs> um, so through all of that, these winding roads of what is or isn't or could be or culturally interpreted as a familiar, we inevitably, doing what we do, find ourselves in Salem. Um, and to talk about those familiars, I think we need to talk a little bit first about um, – Two books. Yeah. So this concept of familiars was nothing new mm-hmm. to the Salem folks, the people that are persecuting these individuals, um, the witch hunters, if you want to call them that. They're not working off of nothing. They have, they have reference. They have references. They have basically instruction manuals. Yeah. Um, two in particular, we've got the Malus Malef- Maleficarum, or translated to Hammer of the Witch. And that, that's not like like a witch's hammer. That's not like Molnir, like Thor has a hammer. That's like the hammer used to find, destroy, and kill the witch. Yes, and demonology. Written by King, well. James the. King James. King James the sixth slash first. Right. He is, uh, and demonology is a fascinating book. It's context aside, as written by a sitting king on this concept alone is is fascinating, much less what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Now, within these two books, we have several references specifically of familiars and what their role is going to be, which is where we're propagating some of this assistant uh, ideas from. And where the folks that are persecuting in Salem are going to be getting their information yeah. from. Did you want to read an excerpt from I can I can read an excerpt. Malice Maleficarum. Okay. Yeah, I want I definitely want to include that in there. So directly from the Malleus Maleficarum and, and and keep in mind uh this book is, is written uh in the fourteen hundred late fourteen hundreds, uh originally in German in the fourteen hundreds, has been uh transcribed into English and it's the language can be a little difficult. Uh, So we're talking about uh, cows being ill. So cattle crops uh, taking ill and and being able to provide sustenance or not provide sustenance. And that's actually something that we see in the Salem witchcraft trials is these cattle being ill and how those were afflicted as such. So, but they can cause this in various ways by witchcraft. For on the more holy nights, according to the instructions of the devil and for the greater offense to the, the, the divine majesty of God, a witch will sit in a corner of her house with a pail between her legs, stick a knife or some instrument in the wall or a post, and make as if to milk it with her hands. Then she summons her familiar, who always works with her in everything, and tells him that she wishes to milk a certain cow 
from a certain house, which is healthy and abounding in milk. And suddenly the devil takes the milk from the udder of that cow and brings it to where the witch is sitting, as if it were flowing from the knife. So what's interesting here is that basically you're the witch has the thing, the, de- the, the, the familiar is assisting her, and the devil's sort of doing the dirty work. But you're denying someone that milk, that sustenance from that being, and the witch is stealing that. Mm-hmm. Then if we go into demonology, written by, once again, King James, not as many mentions as Malice, but we do see a familiar spirit referenced as a thief, who delights to steal, and as a sprite, he can subtly and suddenly enough transport these whatever he takes. So, a so very similar similar yeah. concept. It's this go with this. He's a little thief, a little, yep. little demon creature, a malevolent little being, malevolent. Yes, that mal again, the precursor malleus maleficarum of malevolent malefic something. So these would have been widely known, this concept of familiars and animals being closely related to witches. Definitely no surprise that it comes up in the Salem witch trials. What I am surprised though, there is some differences. So it seems like up until this time, most often they are of natural animals. You'll see some distortions along the way, but you oftentimes see a dog, cat, bird, then we get into the trials, the Salem trials, and things get kind of wild. So we have um, yellow birds, red cats, white dogs. It's a very colorful imagined description. And I have seen several arguments for, uh, and, and Tichba is actually the, the first who makes a lot of these accusations. I've seen arguments for her use of color stemming from her uh, identity as an indigenous person. So she's coming from probably uh, modern day Central America mm-hmm. and big yellow colorful birds were normal, normal there. for her. Right. And when she describes some of these things to these men, and as we sit in new England in, you know, these winter months, they're very, very bleak, mm-hmm. very sepia tone. I mean, you know, in new England winters white and the Puritan bl- people, are black. a bit yeah yeah so she ha- she's adding this 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 pop of color mm-hmm. and and I think that's where some of these things come from so you're taking and I find this fascinating this European you know, British Mallys Malvin demonology and now all of a sudden this person of indigenous origin is kind of shoehorning it's going to bring a little bit of color into it which makes them them being the interrogators, far more curious. Yeah. And makes all of this far more believable, which makes it that much more scary. I think it speaks to the prevalence of this concept, (laughs) the fact that she brings it up. This is the first examination we're talking about. Like when they bring Tichaba, Sarah Osborne, and Sarah Good to Salem Village's tavern, and then subsequently the meeting house, she, in her first testimony talks about seeing a cat, talks about seeing a bird. Do we want to go through some of what was said during these interrogations? Oh my gosh, yeah. I think if we tried <laughs> to go through all of it, we would we would be here all night. Yeah. So we did um, pull out some fun let's tidbits. See. 
why don't I start? I've got one here. Sometimes like a hog, sometimes like a great black dog. Oh. Which which I like. Um, the dog thing I, I find uh, especially interesting because we have that unfortunate instance as well during the trials where they, they killed two dogs. Right. Because this suspicion was so prevalent. Yep. I have one pulling from uh, Susanna Sheldon's statement. Now, this was going against Bridget Bishop, Mary English, Philip English, who we'll be talking about, Giles Corey, and Martha Corey. A witch, then she told her she had been a witch 10 years, and then she opened her breast, and the black man gave her two little things like young cats, and she pit them to her breast and suckled them. They had no hair on them and had ears like a man. So we get... so. This whole concept of the witch's teat and a witch's mark is so fascinating to me because you got to think the Puritans are a very reserved group of people, right? Yeah. To pull out your breast back then. That's I, I not something even, that would that would not happen. It, I, I don't think. Anywhere in commonplace. I, I, I find it weird. The whole thing is weird. That they even had the the sort of imagination to, to to propagate that statement. Like, do you think anyone had ever, maybe while nursing an infant, I guess is probably the only time anyone had ever seen a woman pull out her breast, like in that yeah. fashion. So to, to then take that narrative and then you are using that same to to, to, to feed this. This demonic creature. Thing. Ugh. So. I don't think we talked about this really in any of our previous episodes, but if someone was accused of witchcraft, oftentimes they would be brought into some type of public space, not with a a huge gathering, but a few folks there and they were physically examined. So their clothes would be taken off and their bodies would be looked up and down they, they were looking for a witch's mark. Right, where is, this bean would be suckling. Witch's teat. It's like a magical nipple. Um, could, but it could be a birthmark, a yeah. mole. And o- oftentimes blemish. they were in strange places. I say strange, sorry. They were in hidden places like the armpit, behind the ear, mm-hmm. between the legs, somewhere where you wouldn't normally see. But also... Th- Multiple nipples, like beyond two, yeah. extremely common. Yeah. I once had this woman just this past year on my tour who came up and was like, so has anyone ever told you that they had a third nipple? I think there's a whole <laughs> episode of Friends about that. Yeah, the nubbin. <laughs> I, oh my God, I make a, re- do you even watch Friends? I, I, I have seen, I know, I know the episode. I make the reference in my tour. It's hilarious. <laughs> some people get it, some people don't. Yeah. But no, I had a woman, she came up to me and she shared with me that, that, she, had that a- she had a third nipple. And I was, I was like, did your husband give you a side eye when I brought up that that could mean you're a yeah, witch? Yeah. <laughs> I've so I I say sort of um, they can be birthmarks, blemishes, etc. Mm-hmm. And I would say not every tour, but the significant majority, someone has either a visible. You can have a birthmark on your neck, a mole, yep. or they'll like skin tag, or they'll like sort yeah. of elbow their friend or their significant, and they're like, oh, it's like oh, that guy has a nubbin. Yeah, you're like you all know, <laughs> you, you all know your friend with the nubbin. It, it's okay. Um, I think she also told me this. This might have been another woman 
I'm pretty sure she was a gynecologist. And she told me that I think it's one out of every 10 people have some remnants. Uh, I know that sounds like a very large number and I could be totally wrong, but I swear I had a gynecologist on my tour tell me that it, it's a very common place thing, and you know, they, yeah. a little, it's just, yeah. we're, we're, we're human. We yeah, all got funny skin, noses, marks, ears, whatever the case may be. That's just part of being biologically us. But th- this concept of this nipple, this mm-hmm. nubbin, whatever you want to call it <laughs> is, is consistent throughout the trials. Uh, there are, um, several references to having these things suckled, suckled. Hathorne literally asked Tichuba, do these cats suck you? It's it's not like it just happens once and we're done. Over and over, there is um, uh, human-faced birds that suckle between the fingers, mm-hmm. which I, I love. And I think there's a, there's a reference to that from um, um, Reverend Burroughs as he is the, the, the quote unquote king of hell mm-hmm. or suspected to be. And, and there's an instance where he has his hands out and, and these human faced yellow birds are suckling at the marks between his fingers, which is like, who, who, where do you, it's such an odd, odd placement, right? Yeah. I've got another, I, I find their ability to do things quite, um, Impressive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one examination of Abigail Hobbs, she is asked, you say you saw dogs and many sorts of creatures. She said, I saw them at the time. What were they like? She said, like a cat. What would the cat have you do? She had a book and would have me put my hand to it. The, the cat? The cat had the book Okay, and presented the book to Abigail, and he asked, did you? She says, no, I did not. But can you just imagine you're sitting at home in the evening, and this cat comes up to you with a book <laughs> and is like, Are you kidding? sign if a, here. If a cat came up to me <laughs> with a book and like sat on its haunches and was like, I would be like, "Tell where do I sign? Where do I sign? I, am, I want to be one of the cat people. Like, what? <laughs> It's just when when we read these things, like to us, it is so ridiculous. But to these folks, it was nor- like it was part of their understanding of that, magic. Like, that also was- must have been so terrifying. And this is something that I like to propagate: is this concept of fear? Uh-huh. Like whew, th- these are de- their belief in God is 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 devout. Their belief in the devil is just as strong. Their belief that these things were real is. is Uncontested, it, yeah. It is to them. It is as as true as the rising sun. And I, I can the only time that I've sort of ever been able to correlate that fear. And there's Good. another instance where where two men, um, after the interrogation, uh, William Allen and John Hughes are, are walking home, and they say they saw an undefinable beast crouched on the ground in the path in front of them. This shape flew apart and became three women who fled so quickly they seemed to vanish. And the men, while it was dark, agreed they had seen good Osborne and Tichiba. Now, terrifying. If any of you have been camping 
in the woods, uh, you may have like a small understanding of what that must have been like. But there's no electricity. There's no flashlights. They are terrified of the indigenous people. And they are just walking down a path in, in, in the darkness. There's reports of like turning into large dogs and like these things in the woods, these unseen, unknown. And New England for them is very scary. There is a whole realm of unknown, right? Like what's in the darkness. Right. We're on the frontier. Right. And then there's their belief in these the devil, which supernatural yep. concepts, right? And I can only imagine, like, I, I'll tell you what it's like. If, if you're walking in the darkness and you hear something and you see something in the woods, and you, <laughs> that could literally be the end of your life. And quick story, uh, years ago I was camping up in Maine, and uh, I had had a few drinks because we're camping, right? Mm-hmm. And I had to use the bathroom, so it's like three o'clock in the morning it's dark and the moon's out and bring my flashlight and i'm out by a tree and maybe like 15 feet away there's just a moose like plodding <gasps> along in the woods they're huge they're that's so cool my heart ne- it's very i don't think people you don't see not often moose yeah meese moose i think i think moose. the plural of moose is moose the plural of deer is deer you don't see moose out and about very often not often and but like that's so cool. A little drunk, uh, you know, using the bathroom and in the darkness, I like my heart like jumped. And how close? Even like twenty feet. Yeah, it was just my. It was just. My <laughs> and and I live in the twenty first century, and I have flashlights. And cars, and I can, you know. And like the internet, you it, know what a moose I, is. It, now, say you were a colonist who has never even heard of a moose, seen a moose. You know the indigenous people are out there and they're going to kill you. And you see this big, huge, towering, much larger than a horse, huge antlers. And you you are terrified of the devil. There is witchcraft afoot in Salem. The devil has come to destroy everything you believe in. And you see something in the darkness and the shadows in 1692. Well, obviously, it's a familiar. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> but I think um, I have I have a, a favorite that, that, that tops all of these things. Give me your favorite. Give you my favorite. My favorite excerpt. You yes. Mean? Okay. Yes. And favorite idea and concept of a familiar. <clears throat> okay. Um, that, uh, in my mind, is, is very important. This plays into to Bridget Bishop. Okay. So this is, um, her neighbor John Louder, who claims that a black-furred, chicken-footed imp leapt to the window and spoke from a disturbingly human face. And I'll read you what this little creature said. I am a messenger sent to you, for I understand you are troubled in mind, and if you will be ruled by me, you shall want for nothing in this world. Louder manages to drive the imp from his house, but it's the belief, his belief, Mm -hmm. that this imp is sent to him by Bridget Bishop. So this is her familiar. Trying to get him to enter a pact. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Chicken. Very creepy. Very, I was going to say, can you imagine that little thing perching on your windowsill? Like all the time. I, I have a little pin. I got a little pin custom made uh, of, of that 
chicken-footed, black-furred, human-faced imp. It's like holding its hands. It's like oh, it's got so these cute. red eyes. I love it. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things. But again, it's to me, that's one of the most important ones here because that drives the narrative forward a little bit. It's not just... A witch. It's a witch with these helpers and it's expanding outwards and they're trying to get more people involved and it's 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 a network. It's a conspiracy. Yeah. I, I, I love familiars. I'm gonna do a slight reading just to add to the previous reading. I have some other ones if you want. Yeah, we'll just throw them in there. They all suckled. You wanna I'm just gonna read this one more. Okay. Because okay. I think it's interesting that has the dude being suckled, which not to like stereotype gender and shit, no, no, no. But, like, hold on, hold on. but it's true, right? Like this is a very interesting concept. I don't, I don't think I'm familiar with. No. Um, so this testimony, I think it's, it's from Susanna Sheldon again, tons of references to animals. I, I have, she has several here um, that are. Yeah. Oh, here. I love this one. She told me she had been a witch above 20 years. Then there came a streaked snake creeping over her shoulder and crept into her bosom. Mrs. English had a yellow bird in her bosom, and Goodman Corey had two tersels hanging to his coat. He opened his bosom and put his tersels to his breast, gave them a suck, and then Goodman Corey and Goody Oliver kneeled down before the black man and went to prayer. Jesus. What's a, what's a tersel? It, it, it's a tersel. A turtle? Oh my God. Is it a turtle? I, I don't know. I, I had a reference. Shit. <laughs> I, I think I have the same reference. They all suckled their familiars. Hold on. Slightly different context. The devil in a high crowned hat accompanied. English, Corey, and Bishop returned to Susanna Sheldon, and they suckled their familiars. A yellow it's bird, a, turtle. a pair of turtles. Damn it! And Damn a it! Snake. It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I need to read. <laughs> I need to re-say that. It's not a tersel. It's a turtle. Oh, does it? It says turtle. It's. It was transcribed as tersel, but I think that was a mistranscription. Okay. Okay. I was pulling from the transcription, not the actual. Like, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. just. You know, this is this is the same. So this is in re- this is referencing the same interaction. Yeah, it's just yeah. from a different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to re-say that, but not tersel. Okay. Then I'm going to talk about that. Hmm. Two okay. turtles. Like, yeah. how, you fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just like, how, like what, what are they like snap? Have you, can you imagine snapping <laughs> turtles? Oh my God. Okay. okay. Hold on. And Goodman Corey had two turtles hang to his coat And he opened his bosom and put his turtles to his breast, gave them suck, and then Goodman Corey and Goody Oliver kneeled down before the black man and went to prayer. There's a whole lot to unpack in that statement. So much. Um, Okay. (laughs) Turtles. Snake. I totally could see the snake. The turtles, though. That is a slow familiar. And do you just want to tell me again who... Who had the turtles suckling? Uh, Giles Corey. Giles. So the 80-year-old man opens up his shirt. And, please. I, he has. Okay, hold on. I got to compose myself here <laughs> because I'm imagining this man holding two turtles suckling on his nipples. 
Yeah. Like, they can't... How? We ha- Now, we say these things, and we think they're funny. I. They hear these things, and they think terror. I am, I am imagining this... <laughs> These women on their knees and Giles Corey, like, like like some like some religious painting, like holding these in like some divine stance, suckling on the milk of an eighty year old man. It's pretty good. I oh, and then the woman with this. Of course, she is a snake, obviously, mm-hmm. because you know we've had that narrative since the first chapter in the Bible. But ooh. I was happy to see the snake, though. I feel no, like that I, is, yeah. yeah, I feel like that's quite standard, but we don't see too much mention in the trials. Which is good. Although, a lot of cats. Yeah, a lot of furry creatures. Yeah. Feathery uh, creatures. Human-faced birds. The cats, though, that's one that I always find fascinating because, um, well, cats are a little weird. Mm-hmm. If you own a cat. you I do. Is, is your cat weird? Yeah. <laughs> Right? This is like running around the house at like two in the morning. Yep. Just disappearing in front of your face. You're like, oh, you were, where, where did my cat go? Mm-hmm. Could they be, could, could, is your Hiding cat- under the bed. You walk by and it jumps out and grabs you. Right? That's because it's a demon. So that's because <laughs> it's a familiar who's trying to, if your cat came to you with the book. I would say, where do I sign? <laughs> I would love for my little Felix to come up to me with a book. I'd be a little terrified, but your cat's not little. No, that's true. <laughs> your little Felix. <laughs> but for all of you who own a cat, and I, I say this a lot on my tours, like just think of all the strange behavior that you the running around at two in the morning, the the this turning on you, scratching you. They're in different behavior to your existence, and then their utter demand for attention. <laughs> Utter demand for attention. That's accurate. Is, is anyone surprised that no. they are agents of the devil? <laughs> No, I don't think. I don't. Also, think- they're very cunning. Yes, they're smart creatures. They're hunters themselves. They don't always listen either. I think. Uh, I find this kind of interesting. I think this ties into a lot of uh, our understanding of familiars and like animal helpers. You can kind of control a dog, not control it, but you can train a dog. I should mm-hmm. say you can you can train a dog. Mm-hmm. You can kind of train oxen, horses, mm-hmm. cats. So not I, so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you here because uh, I can. Uh, <laughs> you don't even have a cat. I don't. But uh, for years and years and years, and he has very recently retired. There was a performer in Key West who had uh, several trained cats. Okay, and he would have them walk on tight ropes and jump through okay. hoops. <laughs> well, that's an odd. I'm sure the Puritans were not training their cats to walk on tightropes. But they would be if they were witches, which they weren't. Sure. So they weren't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've seen you like roll your eyes at me so hard. No, no, no. (laughs) It's just a funny concept of an episode. But the familiars are are funny things. No, they are. And I find... The whole idea of them fascinating because I think one of the things that it also interestingly does is is sort of takes the power from the person, if that makes sense, right? Like we all know that – so yeah, okay, so you're going to ascribe someone to be a witch and you're going to ascribe them to have certain metaphysical whatever, however you want to believe that. But we all know that we can't do a lot of those things. Right. 
But if you give them a helper, that helper, then you can make infinitely more powerful, which then gives you the ability to make this person infinitely more powerful in whatever manner you want that to be, which then in your mind, you can logic through how, how they're that. able to do all these fantastical things. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you supposed to say Bridget Bishop was in my room one night if she has an alibi and was in her house? Well, she it wasn't her. She sent her familiar to me. Which then you go, oh, that makes sense. And, and that's how they're able to make these things make more sense. Mm-hmm. It's also physical, right? So like a lot a lot of spectral evidence, which mm-hmm. we've talked about and we're going to continue to talk about, is unseen to them. Right. They, they can't see the specters. They can't see the demons. But physical things like familiars, oftentimes they can see, or more importantly, we're going to back around those nubbins. <laughs> yes. The, you can see that. that yeah. That's a physical mark. On, right. on the, that right. is a, a physical representation. I will say, though, oftentimes when they claim to see these familiars, they're usually specters. Mm-hmm. But you'll get both. But they but they leave a... It's a, easy to see a cat run away as something bad happens and say, oh, that cat is a familiar, and that's the reason why this happened. And that person who owns... That cat. Or, or a cat. Or a cat. Has a mark of some such nonsense. And then, therefore, they are a witch, and we're done. Mm-hmm. That's hard. It's like the 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 routes they take to to find these people guilty. Mm-hmm. It's um, oftentimes through my tours, especially after I've talked about seeing familiars or, or birds suckling, and people are like, "Why didn't they just search for marks on everyone?" Because it didn't always fit their narrative. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it was easy. Very nice. I feel like we should end on that one. We hope you enjoyed this brief overview of these interesting little impish creatures. I hope you are now more familiar with familiars. And we'll be touching them again in other episodes, right? Because they continuously come up through trials. So now... You've got a little bit more background. Yeah. If you follow us online, tag us in your familiar pics. We would love to see your little animals. I guess that's like, show us your cat pics. Basically. Yeah. That's just (laughs) putting familiar in place of it. Sarah wants to see all your cats, which is fine. That's that's fair. Or lizards and snakes and I was going to say, they don't have to be spiders. They don't have to be cats. No. Yeah. And puppies. They could be humans too. Is your husband your familiar? (laughs) Guillermo. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, that's going to wrap us up, right? So uh, next episode, we got one of our first sort of real big witch trials. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bridget Bishop. So she is the first executed. She probably rings a bell. So we'll talk her, clear up a little controversy. There's all sorts of cool Maybe stuff. Maybe address some misconceptions. Yeah. A bit of a sad episode. Yeah. So just be prepared for that. But it's an important one because this is sort of where we kick off uh, what's going on in 1692. Indeed. So again, be sure to review, rate, and subscribe. And tell your friends, like, at least three. Or five. Or five. Or 15. 
Does anyone have that many friends these I, days? Only on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, uh, follow us on all the social medias. That's at Sale on the Podcast, uh, Instagram. We got uh, our videos up on YouTube, uh, TikTok. And if you would like to reach out for any reason, any questions, or if you want to send us your Salem ghost stories, remember we are still accepting those. Feel free to email us. Hello at SalemThePodcast.com. And of course, when you come to visit Salem, want to book a tour, do that with Sarah or myself. The links to both those companies are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you later.